0: John What a scream! What a screamer!
1: Mikel Arteta crestfallen after Arsenal opening day performance when he was not provided a trophy after beating Fulham. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name's Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, Mikel Arteta must have been beside himself with grief. After beating Fulham 3-0, no trophy was handed to him, and I, I can't remember the last competitive fixture we had where they didn't hand uh, Mikel Arteta a trophy at the end of it, so... And we'll have to see if we can correct that. Certainly, there are still plenty of trophies on offer. And I do want to say that after a 3-0 opening day win, the Quintumple is on. It is on. Now, is it a quintuple if you have to do it with the Europa League? I'll allow it. Here to allow it with me is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at PFC. Hello, Clive.
2: Oh, hello, will.
1: And with me is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. New season, better season. Certainly started out as a better season. We don't have Paul, which, look... I'm not one to bemoan not having Paul, but I will in this instance because we really, really could have used the crapatron today. I would have liked to have known what it said about this fixture. Um, But you know what? Like We got three points. We got three goals. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you heard the news. Tottenham Hotspur lost their opening football game. So, you know, all things being equal, I'd say we'll take it. And we will address, I think, because it has to be addressed, the issue of how you weigh a performance when the competition is not fantastic, like in this case. But I don't want to surface that. I think that's something we'll come to down the road. I want to celebrate the win. I want to celebrate the good performances. But first, I want to pretend none of us were pulling our hair out over the lineup. So let's do the lineup, Clive. And I know it is your favorite topic to discuss. But, you know, I think there were some things we needed to see this season. Could Arsenal be effective in the back three against smaller teams? Check. How would Willian integrate? How would... These new defenders integrate. No David Luiz, so he picks Gabriel, which was a huge call. Center of the back four. Holding gets a start. Elneny gets a start. Willian gets a start. Lacazette gets a start. A lot of choices that I think people might not have predicted. Maybe Saka would have been a, a expected pick over Maitland-Niles against easier competition. But Arteta's proven he's nothing if not Democratic. Left the guy in who has earned his place. So, both in terms of your expectations for this lineup, and in terms of your re- reaction to it upon kind of letting it roll around in your head before the result in the performance. How do you feel about what he did?
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I watched this game sort of only today. I didn't watch it live, but I did see the lineup obviously come in. I listened to the game rather than watch it live. So I didn't have that emotional connection that you have when you're a bit nervous when you're watching your first game of the season. So lineup-wise, I thought Gabriel was the interesting one. I thought sleeper would play. I thought Holden would be in the middle and Sleeper on the right hand side. I toyed with the Saka El Nini thing, but uh, sorry, Saka and Maitland Niles thing. But Maitland Niles has been um, pretty good. So I've got a feeling that Bellerin and Maitland Niles potentially could be our wayday wing backs. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Cedric and um, Saka as our home wing backs just due to their technical ability. But hey, that's just a little thought I had today watching the game. Midfield too, and then he seems to be in the pre-season star, right? He must be winning all the races. So um, he's played. I think it's really important when you come to your first game of the season that you do pick the people that are in shape and uh, showing the right sort of values and standards. And then you pick them based on that. And I said in the pre-game part, I said, you you might pick a team based on who's going to go or pick a team who's won the 40 metre sprint. Well, that won't be on any, but if you know what I mean, it's like mm. it's preseason training and who does well in that regard.
1: No one um, from our midfield is winning any sprints. So he's, he's yeah, got an easy exactly. choice there because they're all slow as dirt.
2: They're all slow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, And so Shakar and any which that combination in the past would have brought horror to our eyes, but it um, works slightly differently this game. And I've got some theories on that, but I won't do it all in, in the first okay. degree. But, yeah, the front three, Willian starts, debate. Right, so, um, I, I heard a little bit of on the White House on Saturday, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah, the patreon pod didn't didn't rub everybody the right way, given that that they we got stuck into the Pepe and William debate maybe more than you would have expected following a big three 0 win. I imagine we can discuss that before we do, let me uh, get something from Tim here, and then we can we can sort of move into that a little bit because I think William's performance was certainly man of the match candidate, um, if not the outright man of the match, and so that will lead to a discussion but but, Tim, one thing that I wanna make sure we emphasize. Because there's a minor point, but I think it's a major benefit. One of the first things that happens in this game is a Gabriel-Leno mix-up. I think you'd put it on Gabriel more than Leno, probably. Um, I, I mean, you, you could sort of interpret as you will, but, but it's the back pass that goes awry. And if they round the keeper there and get the first goal, there's going to be a lot of panic, a lot of negative instant reaction. And, of course, immediately you've got Leno's first job getting the job back letting a goal and picking it out of the back of his net. Martinez basically off to, it looks like Villa for 20 million pounds. Maybe it's good business, maybe it isn't, but that's not what happens. Leno gets down smartly, gets the ball. It's really the only thing he has to do in the game, but in doing it, I think it was just that perfect reminder that this is a good keeper, that this was one of our player of the season candidates last season. Maybe it calms the nerves of Gabriel because he's not immediately punished for the mistake. It calms the nerves of the keeper getting back between the sticks. It helps take all that tension away from the debate about should we be letting Martinez go. I think as silly as it seems to emphasize, a little moment in the game we dominated like that early on, it's funny how it can set the tone for a season just like that to to not fall behind, to not have your keeper and, and your, your new center back have an error that costs you. Do you do you think I'm going a little too big on that, or do you think that was perfect no. for us from a narrative and emotional standpoint to have that moment happen the way it did?
3: No, I think you're completely right. And, and for the two individuals... Mm-hmm. Um, that you, that you said as well, like you said, Leno, uh, wh- whoever we kept out of the two goalkeepers, the spotlight was going to be on. Absolutely, definitely. And yeah, Leno, first thing he's had to do, he's done it really well and he did do really well there. Even, you know, it, it depends how much you weight the misunderstanding. I agree with you. It's probably a bit more Gabriel. Um, clearly, a language issue there, I think, and that's that's one of the reasons I'm sure that Mikel Arteta was frustrated to lose David Luiz because I'm sure David Luiz would have, you know, been um, in his ear in a language he, he actually speaks and understands. Um, whereas Leno and, and Gabriel don't have that common language yet. Um, and yeah, and for Gabriel as well, it's it's just and it's probably his mistake, and he's bailed out. and And after that, he's excellent. And and the thing is, I think in kind of football analysis as well, we don't we don't pay enough heed to how how like games can just hinge on these moments and how things can really go either way based on very very small margins you can have exactly the same performance essentially the same tactics the same lineup all the same decisions but the run of the ball goes slightly differently and everything changes and this might have been a very different game if Fulham had gone 1-0 ahead early on. Um, it certainly would have been different for Leno and Gabriel and how they'd have coped with that, at least in the medium term. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say they both would have been just shell-shocked and, you know, gone into like the Almunia-Senderos kind of vortex of, oh my God, I've made a mistake. How will I ever get over this kind of thing? I'm sure they'd have got over it eventually. But for this game, it would have been rocky. And let's face it, at the moment, I I think the fact that um, the Arsenal fan base is very united and quite optimistic is really, really nice. And I don't think that's just like, I think that has value other than just it's a bit, it's not so annoying to be on Twitter at the moment. And let's face it, the way of things nowadays is just so divisive and so polarised all the time. I guess I've made the mistake of thinking that's an Arsenal thing, but actually look around the world we live in um, at the moment, everything's incredibly polarised. And it, oh, it just would have been horrible to start the season with um, an error that could have been laid at the goalkeeper's door, that could have been laid at the new defender's door, who may not have made his debut at all, were it not for injuries. So I, I think that was an absolutely pivotal moment, certainly narrative wise wise rather. Um, and, and I tell you, I remember, um, I guess just to wrap this up um you know, had Leno made that mistake, maybe it would have had long-term consequences. I remember Alex Meninga came into the Arsenal team um, in 97-98, very famously played well, lost his place. Um, and, you know, and you can view that two ways, either killed his confidence and killed his career, or you can say, well, the fact that he went on and didn't really have much of a career suggests that it was the right decision. But I remember one game, a couple of years after this, actually, because he hung around for a couple of seasons and it was against Leicester at Highbury. And he, he just, he wasn't fit. But Seaman was injured and Wenger kind of really forced him to play because we didn't have much of a third choice. And he made a mistake um, in that Leicester game. He just fumbled the ball and Arsenal won 6-1. But he looked, he was in front of me um, for the whole of that second half. And the mistake didn't matter. We scored another three goals, 6-1, no problem. But he, he just looked broken by it. He just hmm. looked, you know, like... God I had my chance and I wasn't given my chance when I deserved it and now I'm on one leg I'm being told I must play and this is no good. And and you know I I not just in football I think entire careers can hinge on tiny tiny little tiny little incidents like that. So um yeah I'm I'm with you. I, I think that was a massive moment.
1: Yeah and I mean not to bring back the Emery era but like the, the thing that I I think back on is look Everyone knows my opinion of the guy and I'm not bringing him up to kick him. I'm bringing him up for this point. We started his career with City and Chelsea as our first two games and I think his approach was already shaken in confidence by the time we got through those first two games and that there was already he he was already pivoting off of whatever he was trying to do. There's something to be said about going into the season not all your players fit having to make do drawing an easy game admittedly and winning it comfortably and not having to start to have the recriminations and and rethinking things. And the goalkeeper situation was probably the most in focus of any of them in terms of, having to really commit to a decision. And I think that really helped. So we've gone pretty big on a pretty minor incident, but I think it's an incident, as, as we've discussed, that can have ramifications. And it could also point at, prove to be narrative, and Leno could be the worst keeper in this in the league this season. We shall see. That's what a season is all about. Clive, Um, let's talk Willian. I, I, I've got a lot of things that I want to talk about in terms of how we built play and patterns of play. But Willian, I mean, theoretically, could have been credited with three assists. I guess he's credited with... Just the two, right? Because the the Lacazette goal is also a Willian touch that the keeper s- smartly uh, blocks out and then uh, uh, Lacazette taps it in. But when you look at that goal, look where Willian is. He's dead center penalty box, deep in the penalty box. He's taking up a position that maybe um, isn't a position Pepe always gets into. And one thing that I'm curious about is how you felt he played the position either similarly or differently. Pepe over the last few games has been excellent. And one of the things that I think informed that improvement was his freedom to come inside more, to start getting more central, to to play almost like an eight in attack rather than having the chalk on his boots. Willian took that even to another level, I thought, and was able to, to have a little more freedom in central spaces. So was that a big part of his performance for you this evolution of that right wing role that let him drift inside choose the space he wanted to occupy how did you how do you think william wound up having such uh an important and impressive debut apart from just being a nice tidy player
2: i think um it, it is about our overall structure it's difficult to talk about william without talk about the structure so mm-hmm. if you don't mind can no I'm that that's exactly
1: you? what i'd like to understand is is because look william's a nice tidy player right but like I think that the structure influenced why he was able to be uh, important in this game and I think it also has tells us something about what we may get from Pepe down the road too so that's why I think structure is really the, the critical piece of this.
2: Again, I watched this cold today no emotions I was able to really see it I and mean, it and I haven't watched any other, I'm no, no podcast or nothing. So if I'm repeating what someone else has said, then so be it, right? See, so, I
1: do it the opposite. I, I listen to the cast so I can repeat it and, and just claim uh, it as my own in, uh, insight. Uh,
2: I try, I try not to, <laughs> I haven't looked at stats though. I know nothing today. So what I did was just have a You're little- You're like John
1: Snow. You know nothing. Okay,
2: yeah. go for it. <laughs> and so, and for me, it's all about the five channels defensively and the five channels offensively. So, there's two, there's two, maybe four players that make this all sort of work. We immediately fall into a five-channel defence if the other team's got secure possession, and we look great. We look really secure, right? Maitland-Niles uh, are better on the outside. And then we flip, depending on our security of possession. Sometimes we go to a four, sometimes we leave a back two. And there's two key players in the centre midfield that play slightly on the slant in Elneny and Shaku, who I thought were fantastic because they are the pivot by which everything rocks around. A Gabrielle, and you have holding, and you have um, a Chacronelle, any that square doesn't move too much, right? They just rock. They just rock around, and everything rocks around it. The key thing when you have a system like this is numerical advantage. So when you drop your wing backs back into a back five, you have five defensive channels, numerical advantage, no space to go and play in, right? The trickers with the two wing backs when we have the ball, they get up, five channels, numerical advantage. Runners coming from everywhere. The key thing is having that numerical advantage inside and outside. So your wing backs can run inside or outside. Doesn't matter. Play what you feel. The term I'm using at the moment with my own team is the art of the possible. See what you see. If one lane's covered, choose another one. Doesn't matter. If it's inside or out, it doesn't matter, we'll cover you. If you break, the art of the possible is inside, we'll take it. Don't worry if you're a back and you should go on the outside. It doesn't matter. If you're a center back and you feel the space on the outside, go get it. One or if you want to mid-
1: juggle the ball four times while rampaging through midfield, go for it. Yeah. Don't <laughs> worry about it. your receding hairline. Go for it.
2: Go for it. Art of possible. Make something happen. So if we play, We spoke about creativity a lot last year. But actually, we replaced creativity with creative movement, intelligent movement. And I think that leads to William, who I thought played that game at 50%. He just It was really quite stunning how easy he made that look. Just by coming inside, seeing your boots, knocking it off, getting it back, popping it to a runner, jog forward five yards. If I don't know where to go, I'll tell you where I'll go. I'll go to the centre of the box because something might happen in there. Nothing's going to happen standing out on the touchline. You see what I mean? And the, the positions he put himself in to make things happen for the team was excellent. He played like a true number 10 playing off the right just by his smart, intelligent, mature positions he took up. And I thought he was really good. I thought Gabriel was mad at the match, clearly, for me, because of where he's come from, his first game, first that's the player for me. I thought William was at 50%. Seriously, I didn't think, I just thought he was okay.
1: He wasn't spectacular. He was just clean and precise, and he made good decisions, and he executed. You know what it reminded me of a little bit? Clive, it reminded me of a souped-up, more professional version of why Nelson was getting picked early on by Arteta. Because unlike a Pepe, he went to the right spots, he made the right passes, he released it on time, everything was just clean and on time. That's not a knock on Pepe, by the way, it's just to say that, Will- I agree with you, he wasn't flair or flash, he was clean and well-executed.
2: I heard his man in the match. I was looking around, watching his game, waiting for something. I thought, "Ah, oh, mate, you're just you're messing around with this. You're just having fun at Fulham. You always win at Fulham. What's the big deal? We got Fulham, we win. Like, What's the big deal? My games later in the year. Let's knock off seventy minutes in this game. Put track tracksuit on and go and get me win bonus. It was that easy for him. It really was. But when Pepe came on, I thought Pepe was nice. He was neat. And my gut feeling was saying, "You're not so easy to find, mate." You're not so easy to find. What happens then when the subs come on, what they do is they watch this game for 60, 70 minutes and they're like desperate to make an impression. So Sobias now wasn't in the same structure. I know we're freeing up. We're playing, we're playing, having fun, right? But Sobias is pushed over to the right a lot more. Pepe then is squeezed over to the right a little bit more. Belevin stops making runs. I know the game's over, but for me, it was the most disciplined yet undisciplined running game for the moments that mattered, All pinned around that middle block. Hmm. And then Ishaka holding Gabriel. Everything else just moved. You can't see my hands for those not on the video. Just rocked around, Hmm. darted in, flooding boxes, flooding their box and flooding back and protecting your box. And I thought there's some sustainable, sustainable principles Hmm. what we saw in that game that will go forward to any game you want to play, which are beyond the system it's how we defend our five channels defensively and how we fill them offensively. Wing backs massively key with a double pivot
1: beat. Yeah, and look, I mean, how, how does someone like Willian wind up... So, sorry, just super quick, Tim. How does someone like Willian wind up the man of the match? Like, he plays at 50%. He goes to all the right spots. He does all the right stuff. He executes nice and cleanly. Nothing flash or spectacular. But he puts a ball on the head of a center back for one goal and he sp- plays the perfect big switch to a, a superstar striker for the other goal and he winds up with two assists. And so, you know, Alex Iwobi was the opposite, right? A player who did the things right, got to the right spaces, good technique, good touch, did the right things when the big moments came, didn't deliver the I ball. So, run. so I mean, I you know, having, having players with the final ball, I think sometimes, because we analyze football so much doing a podcast as often as we do, we look at the the meat and potatoes a lot and forget that, like, it's the final ball that separates the players that go to the top and the players that don't. And Williams at the top because at the end of the day, even if he's not flash and spectacular, his final ball was right on the day. Uh, Tim, why don't you just, because you wanted to weigh in quick, and then Clive will come back on this and then pivot to the crapatron. Because I think there's an interesting point about the crapatron to be made, is a sentence that you yeah, don't hear sure. very often. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, I guess the thing I wanted to say, I, I've always
3: felt that um, not not necessarily in style, but the player Pepe, Pepe reminds me of most is Arshavin. Mm. Um, and I think he'll be a similar type of player, another record signing player in that he will give you those individual moments of brilliance that make you think, wow, what a talent this is. But he's probably not quite a system player. You have to make the system work for him. Willian I take four goals opposite. at Anfield, for the record.
1: <laughs> well, yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> and uh, and Willian is kind of the opposite, and um, and and you know, like I guess, like I said on a couple of podcasts, actually, like M- Mourinho loved Willian, and there's a reason for that because Willian does what he's told and when you look at that ball for abamyang for the second goal you must have you might have seen um you know arsenal have clipped up now um mm-hmm. the comparison between abamyang's goal against fulham and his goal against liverpool in the community shield and it's like to the second the passes are the same. The interesting thing is there. It's um, and I'll correct myself on the last podcast now. It's Saka, not Pepe, <laughs> that mm-hmm. plays the ball to Aubameyang at Wembley. It's Willian this time. Willian's been training with Arsenal for about a week and a half before this game. See how quickly he's clicked into you know that really really well coached kind of pattern of play that Arsenal have clearly worked on That's again and point. again yep. and again and again. Willian's dropped in and he's just done the same thing as Saka, who's probably trained in it. 30, 40 more times than Willian has. The, the reason a manager like Mourinho loves Willian is because he will play in the system. And um, and as I, as I said on the last pod for Brazil, um, the reason he got so many Brazil caps is because Neymar was off on the left and really Neymar's not on the left. He goes where he wants. Because you put Willian in because Willian's the guy that goes, right, there's your structure. Uh, he's the one he'll he'll do what he's told, he'll run up and down the line, he'll come in when he needs to, but he's a he's a solid player. And then over on that side we'll let Neymar and Marcelo and all those players we'll just let them go mad because William won't go mad, he will do what he's told. And I think that's why Arteta's really, really going to like him. And I think that's why I believe that Arteta really asked for this player. Even though you know maybe he came from a friendly agent, um, I, I do mm-hmm. believe that Arteta wanted this player. I think for this type of expenditure, um, particularly when, as we discussed, we've got players for this position already. I think this is, yeah, I, this is this is a guy who can work within the system that I've got. And and mm. that's, that, that's what's going to be really interesting this season, because Will- Willian is your kind of seven out of 10, produce, do what you're told type player. And, and you know, Pepe's maybe the opposite. And how those two things interrelate during the season is going to be fascinating for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. Clive, I know you wanted to come back in, and I guess I'll let you lead into then a, a quick conversation about the question of, does Willian sort of starring, albeit against Fulham and adding the structure and providing the assists and looking good on the set pieces, does Does his performance from the right, when all preseason we're like, will he be a 10, will we switch to a 3, will he play on the left? Nope, he played on the right, he started in Pepe's place. Does it give you pause to think about Pepe maybe being the one who moves position, or Pepe maybe being a periodic starter, a a game-by-game starter, or a a sub-bench option, a sub-bench, isn't the sub-bench always, whatever. How do you see the Pepe-William thing shaking out? Let's get down to brass tacks.
2: (laughs) okay. Well, I don't care, firstly, mm-hmm. foremost, because... Mm-hmm. The it's helpful key for thing,
1: a podcast, makes it very the, interesting. The, the,
2: the key thing for a coach, and he said it, is it's my job to get these players to their absolute maximum. And so he is creating a competitive environment. And that's what he's done. So I... Think as fans, and I include you two in this. And you were lucky that I wasn't in the podcast on the weekend because I was driving along. I had to get my son to message you. I was that, okay, I got to. I got
1: to st- break in and tell this story. So this is funny. So we get a WhatsApp <laughs> message. We had just put out the instant reaction pod. And it's Clive's son saying, "Clive, we are listening to the pod. Clive is driving, and he wanted me to message you the following. So I'm, I'm glad that we are eliciting a reaction from the listener. That is, that is what we want: engagement, Clive. So please engage exactly. with the podcast now that you have a microphone in
0: front of you.
2: So, so trust me, are the people that that know and support and, and and like us, they must get infuriated with us at the same time because I get infuriated with us, and that's part that's part of the fun, right? Mm-hmm. So." My message to you would have been that if I don't allow it, I would have cut into your conversation. I would have said, guys, come on. We have to get comfortable having good players. We have to get comfortable having more good players in our squad because that's how we're going to lift this team from eighth to fourth. Pepe is a really good player. Willian is a different player. The story of this game, a structured game away from home, suited the players we had on the pitch. Another game where we need individuality, dribbling to move blocks. A little was stupid. They tried to play as home game. They tried to move. Don't do that. The, the, the referee took pity on Hector. Should have been sent off three times. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do that. You know, because we were just passing around them. We were very passy and running. Maybe a day for carriers. And then suddenly we're looking at, where's our carriers? Okay, we learn to do that as well. But you know what I'm trying to say? Pepe can really do that and where we had a good, strong passing team and the passing patterns worked because the running was so proactive, there'll be another day where there's nowhere to run, no space to run into, and we'll be looking at people. who can stop, freeze, get two players over, pop it, get it back, shoot from the area. Different skill sets. We've got to get comfortable having good players. Having mm. I mean, many good players. And when we have two good players that are similar, we shouldn't be saying, we need to sell one, we need to sell one. No, bollocks. We need to keep them. Because we've got fifteen points to find. You know, we need we got need to keep them. We've got fifteen points to find because we all want to be in the Champions League. And if William makes Pepe come out of his shell a little bit, then great. You need to come out of your shell because you're a really good player. Right? So and if he makes Saka accelerate his development, then great. May he's spinning around, Bellerin, he's running around every time he plays a bad pass, he's thinking, Shit, am I gonna get dropped? Because he knows he's under pressure. He's like he's never been before. You see what I mean? Yeah. There so people not in this squad that can play in his position. The centre-backs, they're running around like crazy. They're hardly giving the ball away because they know what's behind. This is what we've got to get used to. Having good players. They can't all stay, but we've got to be good. Got, we, we should embrace this. That's what I'm trying to say. No, you're can right.
1: Look, I, um, yeah, please jump in.
3: I was just going to say, can I add to that? I, I guess... Um, Maybe a question to Park is do we just stop talking about Pepe's price now? And say yes, he's, he's a really Thank big you. part of the squad. He might not ever be worth the money, but he'll still That's be not worth his it. Fault. Maybe and maybe not- we just park that. But I guess the the other thing, I would, not to relitigate like the Patreon pod. <laughs> Please like, relitigate, um, <laughs> litigate away. I used to be. a <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm, no, no. I'm going it. off that now <laughs> no, because I actually had, um you know, I was, I was speaking to the Arsenal Women manager, Joe Montemoro, on Saturday night. They had another big win on Saturday, and the squad's gotten bigger um this year for the women's team. And I asked him about a specific player. I asked him about um, Beth Mead actually, and I said, "Oh, I I think she's gone up." like half a level in these first two games. And you bought a player in earlier this year, Caitlin Ford, big Australian international. And I said, do you think that competition's driven her on? And he said, to be honest, you're seeing something in the games and it's only two games so far. But he said, I've been seeing it in training for the last three months. And he said, the stimulus in training has gone up so much because we've got more players. We've got more competition and he kind of said, I had a squad of 17, 18, maybe with like three, four injuries. Now I've got a squad of 22. And he said, the training sessions are so much better now because there's more people and they're all, you know, just that two, three percent higher. And the word he used was stimulus, which I really liked.
1: Mm, I enjoy
3: yeah, stimulus just, as well. Go, go ahead. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm.
2: Just to just do a double on that. And I didn't I only saw this a little bit today. There was a the bit with Tobias and, and Ketcher having a, having a chip before the game. That's two competitive players that want to play, right? They want to play. They're not having it. Both on they the bench, the um-
1: both in a bad mood about it. Getting into a fight in the rondo. To yeah. By the way, there You've was an Instagram heard- post later saying, "We're brothers. We love each other." Nobody yeah,
2: I just anything. saw. I saw that, but but they want to play. They don't. Players smell when something's good. You've heard me say that before. They can spend it. They want to be there. These players don't want to leave now, do they? Once we thought before we wanted to leave, we want to stay. Our score's going to be one hundred and six. We, they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave because they know it's good and they are busting a gut to play for this team. So as fans, we need to embrace this a little bit more. Obviously, we've got to bounce. Yeah. Because we, because we want more new Trinkley toys. However, let's embrace the fact we've got good players and they're going to drive each other on to a new level. And if anything, I know we're debating on the podcast. I'm going to laugh at you guys. But the players have the problem. Not us, the fans, as mini selectors the players have the problem. They've got to convince the coach mm. really quickly that I want to play. Yeah. And the way to do that is to play well and we're going to benefit from that.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, as fans, we have loads of different problems. But what I would say is that, um, so there's, there's first of all, there's the neuroses, right? I'm neurotic. And there's that neurotic reaction of like, oh, will Pepe be upset and leave? Is this, you know, is he not going to stay? Like, we, we worry about things that, I think our byproduct of having become a smaller club, having become a club that has an inferiority complex, like, you know, we had big players on the bench back when we were the Invincibles, and we've had big players that weren't guaranteed a place years past, but that that time has kind of moved on, and now we almost feel lucky, blessed to have a good player instead of seeing it the other way around, that the player's blessed to come to Arsenal, and that leads to this inferiority complex, of so we have to keep them happy, don't do anything to upset them, they might leave, we might not get other players... So there is some of that. And I i mean, I did say even on the Patreon pilot at the end, like, you know, Manchester City have two stars at every position. They're a big enough club that players will fight for their place. And if they don't fight like Leroy Sané, they just go. We don't have the money for that. So I agree with everything you've said, Clive, and you've said, Tim. I think there is a reductive argument that I don't want to make forcefully, but I think is at least relevant that if you're Adu or if you're Vini, or if you're the manager now, so Arteta too. If you were going back and saying we're going to smash our transfer record, and this is the reason the dollar amount we spent for him does matter. It's got nothing to do with how good he is or how important he'll be for us. But if you gave the club an opportunity to spend $72 million tomorrow, for example, and said that what you would get for the $72 million is a very exciting player who will be in and out of the squad and sort of compete for places, and that's what he'll do, I think the club would say, Let's try to use those resources to something that's a little more immediately, powerfully going to take us up a level. And so, again, I'm not saying Pepe can't do it. I'm not saying he won't do it. And this is one game. Willian might wind up being the guy who comes in in spots and Pepe may be the superstar. I said on our preview pod, I think he's going supernova this season. I can see that. I think he has that talent. I'm merely saying that the reason his price matters is just because I think when you use that many resources, that much of your resources, on a player, what you're hoping is that player will be a first name on the team sheet type guy who changes your fortunes, and that's not to say he can't be important, but will he be that guy? That remains to be seen and I, again, one game so we will, all of this is still to be decided. Clive, last word on this because I want to get to all the good things that happened in this yeah. game, the playing out from the back. Hector Bellerin is a guy we got to talk about because he had a stormer so so go ahead, last final word on the the Pepe yeah, William uh, debate. I
2: think- I think Tim was absolutely right, and what he's really saying is because we all do it. Pepe's name always had seventy-two million after it, you know. We, it just does, right? So, so I think we need to change that. And the only reason why he was seventy-two million because of the payment structure, and we shouldn't even care about that, you know. But we do because we get fed all this information, and it drives a narrative in our thought process and our, our analysis. He was a man of match in the cup final, easy for me, mm-hmm. right? And that was only two or three games ago. He's had a baby, he's been training a week, he's not where he should be. There are many players post-lockdown and post-COVID situations are not where they're going to be. I mean, I saw the Spurs player waddling around that pitch yesterday in a skin-tight wetsuit because for, for, they were too fat, <laughs> they are not ready to play, right? Marino's talking about it, right? So that's not normal because this is not a normal year. that remark. It's a very difficult preseason to manage. Mm-hmm. And this is why I really praised Arteta in my, in my thought process because – he put out a team that was ready. Yeah, I didn't care about the names on the back of their shirt. You are, you guys are ready to play. Then I will tell you what, this team will win, and that's what he did. And I thought he's.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, this will all be settled in time. And I, I think just because because Tim made the point, let's take the seventy-two million away from Pepe's name for now and just move on from that. I don't think that number has anything to do with who he is as a player. I think that number has something to do with. With evaluating our our squad building, I mean another good example is Cedric um, wasn't even in the team, right? Didn't even make the bench. Now again, could be a fitness issue, could be something. Else. It's just as we start, I think we're all kind of curious, right? Because we had Gazidis and he made mistakes, and we had Raúl and he made mistakes, and those guys are gone, and the structure has changed. So we're all we're all sort of looking for signs that the club gets it now and they're smart and they're getting we're building, smarter. We're building
2: and, our confidence, aren't we? We're building you know, our
1: confidence and evaluating like what what the going forward structure is going to be. And I, I'm really excited about it, and ready to embrace it. Let's embrace this game, though, because there's more to get to um, than the meta conversation. And and one thing, Tim, that I do want to make sure we touch on is Hector Bellerin. As we've just had a conversation about a player where we're jumping to conclusions, or let me say I am jumping to conclusions and everyone is talking me down from doing said conclusions, I think there were a lot of people that were ready to put Hector in his grave and sell him off coming back from an 18-month injury. Um, Now you could still make the argument that Hector should be moved on to raise the funds to pay for something separate, separate argument. But I think we're seeing him come back now to something like what we think of him as a player. Again, we will get to the caveats of, of how we look at the Fulham game in the context of their quality or lack thereof. But you know, you look at Maitland Niles and you look at what he's really good at and you can see why he's the perfect guy for city, for Liverpool, for Chelsea, But you look at a game like this and you watch Hector storming up the pitch and beating a guy off the dribble easily and playing balls um, you know, in from the channels and into the center forwards and really influencing the game in the final third. And it may be harsh to pick on Maitland-Niles for not doing that as much because, first of all, I'm not sure it was as much of his job on the day. And he's on the left, which is his weaker side. There's a lot of caveats that you can put in place. But let's praise Hector. Let's not praise Hector in the context of the the fight for competition with Maitland-Niles because that's reductive. Let's just praise him because he had a good game. I mean, I it is kind of funny to Clive's point. We have gotten to the point now where every good game is only viewed in the in the way it relates to another player fighting for that place or who else should be picked. Hector was good. That's great. How do you feel about his performance and the, and the form he's rounding into?
3: Yeah, yeah, really good. I, I I felt after um project restart, I think you could see a rhythm building there and um and and i guess it it kind of just depends on how and when you expect players to come back to the level it it takes a while it really does and i do think maybe there's a bit there's an extent to which we all misunderstand because we we probably give players like a few games off the back of a bad injury and we go okay right match fitness is there now but like and, and maybe their match fitness in terms of their ability to run for 90 minutes or survive 90 minutes is there sharpness takes so much longer um to come back and again i guess to draw like a a, a parallel with uh with someone from the Austin women's team jordan knobs is someone i talk to a lot and she's um she's nearly two years um now since she did her acl she's been back a year and she's saying i'm you know it took me a while just to get back to like my seven out of 10. And she was like, I'm still nowhere near my nine, 10 out of 10. Like that's this season. So she's had an entire season and she's saying like right, this season, like I'm back at my, probably my average level, but not my top level. And, and, and I think that's what we're seeing with Bella. I think we started to see him come back to his average level um, probably just before either side of Project Restart, and this is more top level. And I think the the couple of things I'd, I'd want to say on Hector as well is we focus a lot, um, understandably, because it's a big feature of his game and it's something that's really useful to us on that burst, that acceleration um, to get to the byline. But I think there's a bit more to his game than that as well. I think he's, he's really good on the dribble, really underrated. And my, did we see that in the cup final when he carries the ball 40 yards forward. And and that, that little cameo in the cup final, I think we saw this as well a little bit in the Fulham game where he plays that through ball to Aubameyang. He's really, really good. Uh, because he was trained as a midfielder at Barcelona, no less, what better education is there than that? And I think he's got a pass and I think he's got a dribble um, as well. I think he's got both of those things. And those things are really, really useful to us, both in the final third, but we're seeing it in like his own half and things like that, where he just comes in a little bit. So maybe Willian will go outside and he comes inside, and he almost becomes that third midfielder. You know, chops inside, goes around a couple of guys, nice progressive pass, or. Willian comes inside and does that and makes up the third midfielder and Bellerin goes on the outside. What we're getting now, and I don't think we really lost that inside Bellerin. There perhaps wasn't quite the quality around him. I think we've probably only just got the structure to a stage where he comes inside and he's actually got somewhere to go. Um, And a lot of that was about kind of moving Pepe a little bit inside and, you know, William's a bit inside now there's more connections for him now. So I don't think it's just a fitness thing. I do think it's a a team structure thing. There's not, because what what was happening before was he'd come inside, he'd chop inside and he'd look and what's he got? He's got David Louise over there. So (laughs) that's who he passes to Mm -hmm. now. I think there's a little bit, oh, Pepe's come a little bit inside or Willian's come a little bit inside or Ceballos is there. I just think there's more connections for him now. And more naturally, yes, we're beginning to see that burst on the outside again. That was the only thing that was slightly in doubt. I, I don't think I doubt ever doubted that he'd lost that for good I don't think you lose that for good when you get an injury like that when you're 23 when you're 29 maybe when you're Mm. 23 I think you get it back and I think we're seeing that Bellerin um is is if he's not all the way there he's most of the way there
1: yeah and even if you want to say it's just Fulham and, and like I said we will unpack that that comment um again, I think the goal of this season is to beat up the Just Fulhams. Now, some people might say there are no Just Fulhams. They are in a unique band of being worse than everybody. But even putting that aside, if Bellerin's superpower is being really helpful in the final third against the smaller teams that we struggled to break down last season, then then that is something we need because that's what we need to do. Clive, uh, I am not, a, I'm not an armchair psychologist. I'm not a, a mind reader. I don't read faces super well. Having said that, I am seeing the groans of disagreement on your face. The the shaking of the head, the strange, those of you not being treated to this performance in video, you are missing so much nuance. Clive, even I am picking up on the fact that you do not fully agree with the thesis being put forward here. Would you like to provide a counterpoint?
2: No. So all I I will say is (laughs) every game has its story, right? So I agree with Tim's point about connection, connectivity that's improved as a team, right? So so he's able to have two or three options rather than one. right? So, And what that does, what's that allowed? Bellerin is what I call, he's a front-footed player. So there was one bit where he did a great interception on the front foot, quick sprint, and suddenly he looked quick again. He looked quick because he feels safe in his structure. He feels really safe in his structure. They could burst out, and he was punching the pass and running through. I mean, there was a couple of occasions where if he got the ball back, he'd have been in on goal. I mean, so now he's playing the game he wants to play. He's a pass and move, front foot defender. I'm going to knock it and go. You better come with me. I'm committed. I'm gone. So he's now playing his game. And so I'm looking at that and saying, brilliant. And then he was really challenging himself to be accurate. He really wants to be really accurate, even on crosses in the final third, because he knows he has to improve on that. I disagree. I don't think he's great in the final third, hmm. but he needs to improve his execution there. And the manager said it, he thinks Cedric's better in the final third. Right? And so i it's a debate, but, you know, he is challenging himself and he is being challenged, which is excellent. And I looked on the other side of the pitch and I saw some things in Mount and Niles, which I didn't think he could do. There was one switch that came over to him. He takes it first time on his left foot, which is not his right foot, on the volley, drives and then left foot crosses it in instantly. I, that two-footedness, we uh, is two-footed, but n- not to that level. And he, when he was giving the ball away with his left foot, the intention was perfect. It had to be in one touch. When he was given, you know, when he's on his right foot, he's obviously very secure. And his role in this system, I call him like almost like the bouncer. He is the guy that doesn't allow a Bam Yang to run back to the corner flag anymore because somebody's there protecting him, stopping him, protecting his legs. Making sure that our superstar is facing the goal, seeing everything that he needs to see in space, disconnected so he can do what he's done. But we all know what he can do. He is free to move wherever he likes because of that guy behind him who's running past money outside, running past money the inside. There's running strategies. You say three running strategies: run to engage, run to to um, to um, distract, and run to just run through. Right. So. Distraction running from our wing backs was just brilliant. From both sides, they're running. Buller must have been thinking, what is going on here? I don't know where they're coming from. I thought equally they were tremendous. I thought they were the major... If you could have got Man of the Matches, it would have been for those two, because I felt they were the trick for me Mm. to absolutely run for them off their feet. We never were outnumbered at the back and we were never outnumbered at the front. And it was down to those two players who I thought had a tremendous game.
1: Yeah, look, I think, the so let's lead into the conversation about Fulham being terrible for a second, because I think there's an interesting point here. One of the things that we did, we played out from the back, and obviously we created that goal to Aubameyang that was uh, sort of like perfect remake of the goal from um, the Community Shield, which Arsenal cut together, as Tim mentioned, to show you how similar they are. We obviously have a clear idea of one of, I think our plan A for creating chances is to play out from the back draw them in, and then go and create transition opportunities and be attacking on the transition by drawing the opposition in, big switches, right, F- funneling them down the wings, big switches, that kind of thing. Look, I believe that the key to us having a top-four chance this season is beating up on the small teams. Look, we just beat Liverpool twice, City and Chelsea on on route to winning the Cup, winning the Charity Shield, fine. And in some of those games, maybe we weren't you know, the, the better team, but we've shown we can play with those teams. As Arsene Menger showed for many years, you don't even have to be good against the big teams to make top four. If you can beat up the small teams. And last season, we didn't do that. Tim, you posted the relevant statistic on Twitter. We have now matched last season's total for points away to the bottom four. Um, just by winning one game away. So don't tell me it doesn't matter that we beat a shitty team because if we, if that didn't matter, then last season, it shouldn't have mattered. and We didn't do it. Um, so here's the question for you, Tim. How much does it matter that Fulham are terrible and maybe historically terrible? By metrics, they were a mid-table championship side that came up. That doesn't happen very often. Some people think they could be in the category of Darby County bad this season. My argument is, last season, did we ever look like we could control a game, keep a team at bay, and win comfortably, even against bad teams, Regardless of how bad they were, I will say this. From the Stats Bomb season preview article, last season, when playing with the lead, we were relegation quality. We conceded more chances and created fewer than virtually anyone playing with the lead. In this game, we took the lead, we got a second, we stayed on them, we killed their will, and you could see them quit. And Clive referenced it. When the subs came on, it was all having fun and the game was over. There weren't a lot of games like that last season. You know, you can reference, you can say, well, Fulham, we beat Fulham 5-1 just a couple seasons ago. They outshot us 21-9 in that game, and it was level at halftime. This was a game we controlled start to finish, and we did it in a back three, and we did it with a style that we used against big teams, and that's encouraging to me. So I will ask you, is it Fulham's piss-poor level that allowed us to play well in a system we haven't seen succeed against small teams, or is there a ray of light here that suggests this system, even against the weaker teams? can be used effectively to create chances, dominate games, and and win the games we weren't winning last season?
3: Yeah, I, I think huge ray of light personally, um, looking at how we uh, how we played against other teams um, for all the reasons you mentioned, because we'd not been doing it. I, I guess the comparison um, I'd look at from last season, uh, the two Norwich games, um, if we're talking about Fulham potentially being bottom of the league, and I think they might be, then Norwich are your equivalent from last season. Bottom of the league, relegated with, what, four games to go. We're saying that Fulham, obviously this is an early conclusion and I'll go into that in, in, in a little bit about why that might be the case, but away in what was it december december the 1st um when admittedly norwich were much better at this stage and they kind of fell apart at the end so i don't think it's an entirely fair comparison drew 2-2 away at norwich they took the game to us we were a little bit kind of a little bit scared and we needed a bamiyang to kind of dig us out of the hole when we played them at home after project restart smashed them took them apart you know but but there was a little section um, in the second half where Norwich came back into it, um, and they had a couple of sighters and then they made a mistake at the back, and we went three nil up, and then it was over. Um, so we didn't we didn't really kind of go pedal to the metal at two nil at half time. We still retreated into our into our shells a little bit. Didn't happen this time, and 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 I think you're right. I think it's it's definitely. Um, I think it's 80 to 90 percent good thing. However, I don't think we can discount the crapness of Fulham, and it's it's not just Fulham's crapness; it's the way they're crap. All right, um, Norwich were crap last season, but they gave us some trouble. The, the reason for Fulham is that their press is all over the place; they can't do it. Um, they were tenth for shots on goal last season in the Championship with easily the best squad in the Championship. They play really boring um, kind of football from the early 2000s, 4-2-3-1 horseshoe football that um, a lot of their fans really, really don't like. And a lot of Fulham fans will just tell you that they use Mitrovic as a bit of a cheat code because he is miles above the level of the championship as a striker. And perhaps we're a bit fortunate they decided not to start with him um, against us, but a lot of Fulham fans will tell you It was basically just they had a mid table Premier League striker in the championship. And even then, they just struggled to come up. And there are a lot of, there are some Fulham fans I've spoken to who've said the smart thing to have done would have been eat to sack Scott Parker, even though he got them promoted, and just say, okay, you did this bit. Sorry, we don't trust you with the next bit. We're going to get someone else in. He's a world class idiot. Just, just (laughs) by the way,
1: if you listen to him, he's a world class. Yeah,
3: yeah, and and like the way they played was all over the place, and but the thing is, the reason Fulham aren't doing that is because they're scarred by what they did last time they came up to the Premier League. Last time they came up to the Premier League, they played brilliant attacking football in the Championship, smashing everyone, loads of goals, maybe a bit loose at the back, but just tonked everyone, and then they went and spent a hundred million on players and took the spine apart of the team, and it completely backfired they went through three managers and they were relegated easily and they don't what they're thinking i think is they don't want to repeat that mistake which is why they've not signed many players they've stuck with the manager and i think as long as they do that that i think they have a neurosis about not repeating what they did last season last time and in doing that they're just going to make a different mistake with the same outcome this time Mm. so yeah, um, yeah. I I think we caught Fulham at a good time because I think Scott Parker might not be there the next time we play them.
1: There's a fine line between being a sharp dresser and and trying too hard. Like Arteta looked fantastic. Just looked the part. Sharp sweater, nice nice slack. You know whatever whatever it was like dark jean or something. Just a good sharp looking guy ready for the occasion. Scotty Parker looked like the first year accountancy. Uh, uh, trainee or you know like the, the 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 first year attorney at the law firm who like really wants to impress a little too much but like everyone's like hey it's casual friday what are you, what are you doing bozo um yeah he's he's a world class moron but clive in terms of like the way this matters um you know one thing that i i think is weird about us when i think big club beating up small club i think 80% possession having the ball in their final third the whole time pushing them back the small club sitting in a you know two banks of five in front of their keeper packed into their box, saving shots, you know, trying manfully to just keep the big club in front of them. And that's not how we do it. We don't have long passing plays. You know, we don't have the 22 pass moves in the attacking third. Granted, we do because they start in our defensive third, ironically. We don't push them back territorially in that traditional way. Um, So this worked against Fulham. And one of the things I think Fulham did that was kind of naive is they pressed us. When we passed it out of the back, they were willing to play the role of the punching bag. They were go, okay, we'll come up and press you. And like that gave us the space to play around them and cause them all kinds of problems. So do you think that other clubs, if they sit off us, will create a problem that we haven't solved yet, which is how to have that deep possession for long periods of time and create chances that way. Um, or do you think that this, this approach can work against other small clubs, that th- this back-to-front play, creating transition opportunities by sucking in the opposition is something we can do regularly in these kinds of games?
2: I'm not sure, to be honest, but um, I do think the depth... Can you be more decisive play, than that, please? <laughs> <laughs> the, the depth by which we play. Some of our, f- our favorite recent moments have been caused by depth, my back-to-front depth. And that allows us to play our patterns our zigzag patterns the switches etc they've been our happiest moments uh, I think Brighton was an anomaly I do and I think we should have won the game it was just a bit sloppy from us I think some lessons have been learned since that day and certain players i have not played a game since and then we have Aston Villa Aston Villa's in my mind and it's not left my mind I'm not sure if I saw the Aston Villa X Factor you know how to beat that team the way they played with six at the back of the line. But I think we will be working on that. Um, I do like the ingenuity. I do like the the creative running. I think the aggressive running, the running through, I think that's key. When you've got a team that's sitting there a little bit, once you do push them back, you must move them. And I thought there was good intention from the Wimbach, from Aubameyang, from people to run into space, to run into the dangerous areas and make them defend. I thought that was encouraging. I think sometimes with the smaller teams, we play around them, we allow them to set their feet, we allow them to feel their distances, we, we allow them to be comfortable and head it out of the box. So we didn't allow them We're moving the ball quickly, quick free kicks, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's overlap, underlap, let's, let's move them, let's move them, let's move them, until the end they broke, right? So because they're too tired to keep the ball, they're giving it back to us and we just wave after wave after wave, because we've moved them, we physically challenged them, we pressed them, the service forward is poor, we get the ball in the halfway line, and then we go again, and we overlap again, and we run around again. I thought we looked really fit, we looked really prepared. So we did it with creative running rather than creativity. Mm. And I think that's the key thing. There will be a game for creativity when the running space isn't there. And I think that's the players. We may need to sign one, and maybe one was sitting on the bench, but it's, it's all right. You know, it's okay. Winan was very encouraging with his intelligence. Young is just like, my God, he's improving.
1: Isn't it wild right? we don't talk about him, right? I mean, like yeah. we've gotten to the point where he scores another beautiful, curled Henri-esque finish, and it's just expected now. We don't even need to talk yeah. about it.
2: I know you're, you you worry about him falling for Cliff Tom Brady style, but Tom Brady's still playing. Last time I looked, right? <laughs> he's 14, 41. Mm-hmm. And Yang I, I was saying for one, I think he's improving. I absolutely think his efficiency is going through the roof. You know, every time he does not score, I look, I'm disappointed. I never felt that before when he first arrived, because everything he does looks so calm and assured and and precise. He looks really, really good, not even close to any sort of grading. So he's good. And now, like I said, busting a gut even more now as well, because, you know, suddenly we're looking at him and thinking, well, he's got Eddie and Ketty up. Firing on the bench, waiting to get on. Under twenty one, gonna be record goal scorer soon. And Lacazette saying, I've got to keep this guy at bay. I better start moving. I better start running. Do you see what I mean? And suddenly he looks fitter. We spoke last season, didn't we, Tim, about a Lacazette's lack of fitness. We tried to give him a break and say he got an injury. Mate, start running, mate. Start running because people around you are running. Mm. You need to, Well, you're gonna get moved. You know, you're gonna get moved. That's how and that's how it should be. Arsenal should be a place. People want to be not where we feel grateful for them being. Teta's changing that from day one.
1: Yeah. No, um, uh, yeah, please, please. weigh in, Yeah. Cause then I, I, the... I want to get to something that I think is going to fly under the radar if I forget it. So just remind me to come back to this thing that I want to get to.
3: <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I just wanted to say on Lacazette, um, I, I thought it was a really good point. And, and the comment that um, I think he was saying like in the, in the middle of the week, you know, I'm happy at Arsenal and, like he's one of those players we've got question marks about you know do we sell is the interest there we're not offering him a new contract and I think that tells you something but I, I get the feeling with him he's not agitating for a move he wants to earn a new contract that's kind of what I'm thinking about so Kolasinac has apparently said no I'm happy here and I might be doing him a massive disservice and you know apologies if I am but I get the feeling that's that's a no one's going to pay me what I'm getting paid here. So when he says, I want to stay and fight for my place, I th- I think what he means is, I'm on a nice contract here, which you know, which, which is his right. Whereas with Lacazette, I don't know. I just got the feeling it was, like, like Clive said earlier, about players wanting to stay. But I, I, I don't think it's a case with Lacazette that he's looking to leave or he's trying to leverage. I think he's thinking no, I want to be part of this. I'm with my best mate here at Bamiang. Hmm. I'm still starting. So I'm still an important member of the team. I'm not wood, And yeah, I've just got this feeling that, that he really wants to prove himself as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the problem is, right? Like the business we want to do is going, we always say it's going to require a sale. Right? Obviously, nothing requires a sale. If Stan Kroenke wants to reach into his pocket and spend five hundred million pounds on players the summary can, the reason we say it's going to require sales, we presume that's not the case. So please don't yell at me that we don't have to sell to buy if Stan just wants to spend his money. Like I agree with you, but there's no indication that we'll run that way. So unless or until that changes, the presumption is someone has to go. And if we keep saying, well, you know, let's not sell Ballarin, let's not sell Maitland Niles, let's not sell Lacazette, we should keep Martinez, like I love all those players too and I would keep all those players too except we would like to get our, you know, maybe we want to get a uh, Messi and, you know, you got to raise the money for that. So the issue I wanted to get to though is set pieces. I really think that we almost always focus on one way to be a better team and that is buy better players. And it is the absolute most proven way to be a better team. The team with the most talent tends to win. But Liverpool have discovered something and other clubs are starting to discover it too. There are incremental gains to be made, margins where you can improve. You know, we think, oh, if we buy, if we buy party, that's gonna transform us. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. A great going from a good player to a great player might be worth three points? Four points? Two points? It's not worth tw- Remember the the hilarious check is worth 12 points or whatever thing that I always get It's never as much as you think. Even a great coach might be worth three points. So there are ways you can get better at the margins. And set pieces were a disaster last season. Bad at conceding, bad at scoring. We went out and get a set piece coach, and you're seeing it already. In this game, you saw... Improvement. The goal that Gabriel scores isn't just William puts it on the head of the big guy and he scores. They crowd the box. There were picks being set for runners on set pieces. We had a long throw-in routine that worked well. We set a pick on a throw-in. We didn't wind up throwing it to the open guy, but Shaka set a pick and a guy rolled around. Like there was design, real design to the way we were running set pieces. And on another day, that Gabriel header is a winner, and that's three points. You know, I I really think Clive that. Arsenal look like we're starting to do a lot of smart things that we're all kind of hoping we would do. We got rid of, we've trimmed the fat in the scouting department, trimmed the fat at the executive level. We're starting to make some, some smart decisions. We got a coach in who understands the game in a way that we really like and could communicate the way we like. But now with this set piece coach, I think what we're recognizing is, Hey, if you if you score two more and concede one less, that could be four points over a season, and that could be top four versus Europa League. So how excited are you? And I again, I realize I'm going over the top from one game. It's all we've got to go on. But I really think that, that this is an exciting sign of a club doing things the right way, and that it could make a big difference. So did you see things in the set-piece routines that excite you about this? And, and, and is it just encouraging generally to see Arsenal leaning into these kinds of more progressive approaches to finding ways to get the club to be better, just at the, at the edges, at the, at the margins.
2: Yeah, I think that your latter point is the one that I, like, I really agree with. And you're enough, you find enough have used the word lean and I was talking to someone online about some Six Sigma lean type management philosophies that Arsenal are sort of leading into, per se, and they are getting more people, or less people to do more and take more responsibility. That's what Edu has spoken to. And I uh, listened to Tim's point about him spending time at on one of the big four consultancies. I think it's PwC, I think it was, Tim. And um, and basically, he's obviously brought into his management philosophies and I can see it. I can see it in the organisational structure. I can see what he's doing. There's, there's more of that to come. And also are looking at themselves. And this is what you do when you change organisations. You look at yourself, you find out where you need to be better. And then you structure yourself accordingly. There needs to be a period of... Storming, wow! Well, and then storming, norming, into,
1: forming, and performing. Yeah, and these, <laughs> and we've
2: gone through that storming phase, right? To and to find out who we are. I've, I've always felt this. I've felt this for years. I'm saying it. We got a caretaker. We got a cleaner in charge. He needs to clean the crap out, do the ugly jobs, and then we will slowly but surely get to a better place. Um, I didn't know how how good Arteta would be. You know. Following the big, you don't want to be the guy to follow Fergie, do you? Or to follow Wenger, do you? Whatever you do, you're going to fail. We've seen it twice, right? So it's very difficult. I didn't expect our attention to be like this. But he has, you know, he's overreached my expectations. And the whole organisation is just turning a corner, right? And I think that's key. I think we're turning a corner. We... Results mean everything. We we lose three games, and we may not be saying this, right, but I do feel the club isn't drifting anymore. We're looking at the things that matter. We are a football club. Let's focus on football things. I still think there's more to come with data, et cetera. But it's, I think it's a great sign that we, we look like we care. We look coached. And we've spoken about this for years, haven't we? Sometimes we're a bit playerish. We don't care. We don't look coached. We just go out there. We're personality-led. Which suits uh, Mesa Ozil and the Granduzzi? Do you see what I mean? Mm. And those big personality players that dominate the scene based on their personality now look like a football club again, focus on the collective, and I'm sure Tim is screaming marginal gains, marginal gains, uh, and focus on the marginal gains, and that's what we want, didn't we, to be a proper, you know, forward-thinking club. And I'm, I'm really encouraged.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Tim, quickly on the uh, on the set piece coaching. I mean. Really, you can take the conversation any way you want, but I, I think it's encouraging both in terms of what it will mean for us during the season playing football and also encouraging what it means for us in terms of a club starting to understand that there are there are ways that we can get better beyond just splashing the cash, that there are things we can do to, to be more competitive. And really, you know what it shows? It shows that someone's analyzing it at the right level. You know what I mean? Because... Because before, I think one of our big concerns with Stan Kroenke is he's an absentee landlord, right? He, he doesn't care. How do you wind up with a set-piece coach? Someone's got to hire him, which means someone's got to identify that this is an area of potential marginal improvement. This is an area where Arsenal can exploit an inefficiency. This is a weakness that we can turn into a strength with a hire that isn't expensive, that can make a big difference, that can take something off the plate of the head coach and, and improve the team. Who makes that observation? Is it Josh Kroenke? Is it Adu? Was it Raúl? You know, maybe it was Arteta himself, but the point is, it it indicates that we're not just going to be a better team this season, ideally, but that there are people with their eye on the prize, understanding where these areas for improvement exist. So, is that the part that's exciting to you that that this that this attention to detail appears to be there, or just purely what it's going to mean for us on the pitch this season?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah both actually. I mean, it, you know, we talk about marginal gains there. How how did we go out the Europa League? Um, Olympiakos scored from a set piece, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yep. If we defend that Thanks situation for reminding us. better, yeah, yeah. If we def- defend that situation better, maybe we win it. You know, we we probably we almost certainly stay in that game and go through. And who knows what happens after that? We could have won the whole the whole competition. It wouldn't have been, you know, com- well, I guess Sevilla never lose it, do it, do they? So maybe <laughs> it was just a completely pointless. But but you know, those those marginals can can lead to big, 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 big things. And uh, I thought what was really interesting was that, you know, we, we talked about with the kind of um, the trimming of the scouting um, kind of uh, cadre at Arsenal, and that kind of got conflated with the redundancies um, story. And I, I don't think Arsenal handled the comms around that well. But if you listen to Edu's um, uh, interview this week, he, he kind of sets out, he called it his vision. Uh, he, he said his, his exact words, I think, were fewer people doing more and working more with data and streamlining it, um, and and that so so that's really the first time. I mean, he didn't really speak at all before, but that's really the first time he's come out and said, "No, no, that's a decision I made." You know, I've been here a year now. I've had a little look around, and that's one of the things I've decided. And so that, that this is the first time, and maybe maybe that was deliberate all along. Like regardless of what was happening with Raul Sanier, he maybe that first year. And don't forget that he came in right at the end of pre-season last year because he was still with Brazil for Copper America. So he, d- he didn't really get his feet under the table. He wasn't even in London until August. Um, and then he you know, had to get his family over and everything. So maybe that first year was always just the case that, okay, we're going to background you a little bit. But, you know, he talked about being on the training ground every day. He, he said that from the beginning. In his o- opening interview, he said, I'm going to be on the training ground. That's where I feel like I need to be. I need to be in touch with the players. So maybe, you know, the whole set-piece coach thing, maybe it came from Edu, but maybe it came from the players. Mm. Maybe Maybe he said, like, you know, and if he didn't spot it himself, maybe, maybe I'm speculating, it came from a conversation. What do you guys feel you need? Where do you guys feel you need more care? And maybe one of them said, you know, maybe a David Luiz or something said, do you know what? We need a bit more on set pieces. That's perhaps something we did have under Unai Emery um and uh, Carlos Caicedo that, that we've lost. And perhaps that attention to detail needs to come back. So again, it's, I guess maybe I'm reevaluating edu's first year in the job and that maybe this foregrounding of him well look, a lot of it is because of the Racinehi thing but maybe maybe it was just always the intention that in that first year have a little look around you know you've been around you've been around other organizations you've been at you've been with Brazil you've been with Corinthians who have both become high performing trophy winning organizations um while he's been there so have a look around and see what you think and now it's okay right i've had a look and 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 again i'm speculating you might be right it might have been arteta who did it i, I tell you one thing for certain it wasn't josh kronky and it wasn't stan Cronkey mm. <laughs> who came up with that so yeah it's I, I i think it's fantastic and um you know we were we were 10 points off of fourth last year That actually sounds quite surprising because it felt like we were much further away than that. How do we get that 10 points back? Um, Don't lose and draw away at the bottom four. Do set pieces a bit better. There's your 10 points right
2: there.
1: Yeah, I mean... Don't draw
2: 14 games wherever it was, Tim.
1: Let me ask you a question. What would a player cost who got you five points in a season? Who was worth five extra points? 60 million? 50 million? It's a big player that moves the needle that much. That's a lot of points. It's a big, big player. What do you think we're paying our set piece coach? 300? He might not even
3: be in five. Days. Well, no, we, I think we know it's it's like a full time coach. But you know, like 200, 200 a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Liverpool employed that um, the the throw in coach mm-hmm. guy. He's only there two days a week. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know,
3: it's just like okay, we'll do two sessions Point a week is, on this.
1: If and- if you're trying to stretch resources. And you're saying, how can I get back in the top four? Buying 70 million pound players is the most surefire way. I don't deny it. Paying hundred grand a year to a guy who gets you four points off set pieces is a hell of a smart thing to do. And not doing it is just leaving points on the table. And doing it is smart. And by the way, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it doesn't work, but but it costs you so doing things that cost you very little, that have big upside, incremental improvement in an area you were weak. That's what smart clubs do. I love seeing it. I'm sorry if I'm leaning into min- what seems like minutia. But, and Clive is nodding. Yep, you're leaning into minutia. But Clive, I mean, we know that getting good players makes you a good football club. But there are things you can do that make you better that I feel like this club hasn't always gone and done. And seeing us do them, you know, it's one of the reasons I, I, I recoiled from Raul a little bit. Because I felt like he was doing things in a way that felt very much like how football used to run. And I see a club now that looks like it's doing things the way football's supposed to run, at least in a club that really has the kind of ambitions we have. And do you think I've made too much of this, which is very much my thing?
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, it is your thing. But you know what? You get get us thinking, right? And that's what it's all about. I hope so. (laughs) Rightly or wrongly. You know, three, four weeks ago, we were bemoaning the club for making a few redundancies, 55 redundancies, and, you know, potentially the pay cuts issue and, You know, and then you have to, uh, I said at the time, I said, look, change is really difficult. It's not good. I, you know, I I felt as a club we became too bloated. You've heard me say before that we spent too much time in the diamond club drinking serre, congratulating ourselves on the new stadium and our increased revenues.
1: I'm going to stop you. I have not spent enough time doing that. So if someone would like to invite (laughs) me to do that, I am available.
2: (laughs) Drinking our Sancerre is my favorite white wine Mm. in the diamond club in Patting ourselves on the back, saying, Look at this beautiful stadium, and giving the contracts to people we should have sold. Right? That's what we've been doing for a few years. The major hiding a few faults until suddenly the major was exposed and he ended up going. We zigzag to a new guy, completely different um, philosophy. We we created new layers and structure, and now we're back into something that we recognize, where we feel more comfortable with, model that we feel more and I was always okay with all of it because it is the change cycle. But now I'm encouraged because it feels a little bit more clear and transparent. Right? And I just want to see us um, focus on being a football club again, not an investment vehicle. That's where we felt like we've been. And And when we are in that lean way, operating at the right cost base on the non-playing staff and the playing staff, it's at that point... This is my belief, right? It's at that point I feel if the owner, if he would ever overinvest, it's at that point he would overinvest. Mm. You do not invest into an organisation which is not run efficiently. You invest into an organisation once it's efficient. Mm. And that's always been my thought process. Now, people could say, "That's never going to happen? And I would say, yep, I don't know it's going to happen. But I do understand business and how that works. I do understand change, how that works. And that's how I feel we're always going to be and who to know what's been happening in the background because we're now an opaque club on the investment side of things. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really encouraged, Elliot. I'm really encouraged. And beyond the result, I'm encouraged about Good. the direction that we're heading because I think it's a positive one.
1: And you know what? Like, it, the reason I'm encouraged is these are things that go beyond did we win on the day. They go to process. Like, I'd like to think that I'm not a hypocrite, Um sometimes I'm emotional and so I react to things in the moment. I acknowledge that. But I really believe fundamentally that process is more important than outcome because good process will more often than not yield good outcome. I remember when Emery had the long unbeaten run um, and, you know, and, and we wanted to get behind it. But I think all of us saw, you looked at XG, you looked at the performances. Gosh, they weren't really convincing. And it felt a lot like good outcome, maybe not good process. And what happened? It caught up with us. I see you, good you process it, now.
2: You called it at the time, I'll give you that, you called it.
1: Well, and, and it's just the point that like, I see good process now. And because I see that, that's the most concrete reason for me to feel good about where we're going. Um, and I hope we lean into that process because good process will yield good results, I, I believe, fundamentally. You still need things to go well for you. You still need good players on the pitch, but the good process is there. Um, as we start to wrap up, and I know people will be screaming, you didn't talk El Neni, you haven't talked about holding. You have, I mean, it was a good day. Everybody had a good performance. We can't get to all of it. I think we should get a quick word in uh, from you, Tim, about Gabriel. Gabriel. Um, he has the... I want to call it a towering header, but let's face it, it was more like a face-shoulder thing. It probably wasn't a towering header, but he scores the goal. You want your big... On a weekend where Virgil Van Dyke scores a goal, right? that's what you want. You want that big uh, center-forward, center-back to command the box at both ends. He does that. He doesn't have a lot to do defensively. His passing wasn't super progressive, but for a new guy to come in and be the hub in that in that passing out from the back scheme, even if he wasn't progressing the ball, just to have that involvement, that responsibility at 22, first Premier League game. I know it was weak opposition. Um, Gosh, you love to be able to ease a guy in and you won't find a more easy way. And he even was able to get a mistake out of his system, you know, a little jitter and, and move on. So we talked about how the Leno thing can lead to just a whole change of the season. How big can it be to get a start under Gabriel's belt in a situation like this and get him a goal to really boost him, especially if Louise could be missing like six weeks, given that after West Ham, it's it's a bit of it's a bit of a, a tricky run from there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And and this this just means he gets his shirt again next week, um, as far as I'm concerned, and that 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 already puts us in a better position than we were pre-Fulham. I'm sure there were some doubts about putting him in. I'm sure Arteta thought about it. I'm sure if everyone's fit, it, it might not have happened, although, you know, I kind of I wrote back a bit on what I said in some of the previews about, well, you know, he's 22, so he's not an, he's not a teenager, and he costs $27 million, So, you know, if you buy a 22-year-old striker for $27 million, you you kind of expect them to start. But I guess I hadn't quite factored in the fact they hadn't played for six months. And you know what? That could have been behind that early era as well. It might not have been a language thing. It might not have been a nerves thing. It might not have been getting to know his teammates. It might just have been a, a bit of a rust mm. um, type thing. But... I thought what was really encouraging was the way that he reacted to it after that. um, Lord knows, we've had plenty of talented centre halves who make an error like that and can't recover. Um, You know, I'm thinking of a couple of Swiss centre halves we had who were super talented, in my view, super talented, but just didn't quite have that. Perhaps that that psychological part, and yeah, it's it is. It's super impressive because you know he's play. He doesn't speak the language yet, and you, we know communication is such a big part of playing in defence, particularly when we're doing this kind of rocking between the back three and back four. So one minute he's got Tierney like five yards to his left, the next minute he's twenty yards to his left. So he's got to move over. A lot of that relies on communication, and he won't really have those, those communication skills yet. So, yeah, I I thought it was really, really impressive. Um, I thought what I quite liked as well is he's left-footed, but he didn't look to me to be excruciatingly Mm. left-footed. Maybe I'll have to go back and look at it again, but he didn't look to me like he he didn't have that thing a lot of left-footed players have where it's just, I absolutely must have the ball on my left instep, otherwise I can't move it. He He was a bit more, I guess, pragmatic. Um, in that respect and and of course and of course the goal helps as well because that that just gets the performance noticed um, perhaps a little bit more. It just it just brings a bit more attention. I, I guess I'd say as a caveat I'd have been more interested to see um, how he'd have fared had Mitrovic started mm. with kind of Mitrovic that that would have been much more of a welcome to the Premier League. Um and, and, and Mitrovic is better than the striker they started anyway. So, you know, maybe there's that caveat there. And when we play West Ham, it will probably be Haller up front, who's, you know, big, dominant, good in the air. And that will probably be a bit more of a test as well. Um, but yeah, I, I I thought it was absolutely superb. And I just have to say, as a coder on this, um, at halftime, <laughs> my... My, my wonderful wife made um, a very, very traditional Brazilian dish called uh, tutu de feijão, um, and I was eating it while he scored, which which for my personal brand is just amazing because, you know, you've got William whipping in a corner to a <laughs> Brazilian centre-half while I'm feasting on, like, the most traditional Great. Brazilian dish. There is just,
1: you know, chef's kiss, literally. Great. Great. Um, Clive, uh, a final thought on Gabriel and then our, our last thing. I just want to touch on a substitute issue. So you want to quickly put a code on the yeah. Gabriel
2: discussion? I'm 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 huge I've I've been I've been saying for quite a while that you your centre backs I used to play centre midfield when I played. I used to turn around and hope that the centre backs were bigger and faster than me. That's all I ever wanted. Until I see that, I've never been happy. When I turn around and see five foot ten at halves that can't run. They just can't look after their opponent. I'm sorry, I'm never going to be happy. The encouraging thing about Gabriel and Saliba is they look like they are born for the position. They have the skill sets on the ball and they have the physicality. And it's almost like when I was a kid, I used to run into mum and dad's wardrobe full of coats. When you run into Gabriel, it's like running into a wardrobe full of coats. You just run into him, he just envelops you. It's over, right? One-on-one contact, he's not being moved. These are the simple things. And you spoke about Mitrovic, Tim. And did you notice who Mitrovic stood on? He didn't stand on Gabriel, mate. He went and stood on Bellerin. Players are not stupid. They know what they're looking at. The players, I always say this, but guys, trust me. Players tell you about you. They tell you about you. Mm. No one's going near him. Van Dyke is only just being pressed in the last few weeks. And suddenly he's making a few errors because people are not even bothering to press him. He's so smooth and impressive. Now he's shown a few cracks. Let's see how he goes this year. Huge fraud in my view. Let's see how he goes this year, right? So maybe the Arsenal (laughs) scouting reports were right. He's arrogant and lackadaisical. That's what we said was we turned him down for five million quid. (laughs) But let's not go there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm huge encouraged by the the raw um, skill sets of both Gabriel and Saliba. Perfect for us.
1: Yeah. And I mean, um, look, it's interesting because we didn't see him do a lot of defending. But you can only judge what you saw. And I, I mean, if nothing else, it's just great to get a start under his belt in that kind of situation. So as a final thought, I just want to talk subs. And it struck me, granted, a game where we didn't need to change the game or rescue the game. But you look on the subs bench and suddenly you're not talking about Willick and Nelson. You're talking about Pepe and Ceballos. You know, you've got you've got some real, uh, more high caliber players. And I just want to uh, touch on Ceballos momentarily. I will make the point that... Uh, I think the premier league need to change one rule and I'm not usually a premier league rules needle kind of guy, but I think they should change the rule that doesn't allow us to substitute Aubameyang because I, I think it's unfair. He's in his thirties. Now we should be allowed to substitute Aubameyang and apparently we're not, which I'm not aware of that rule. I mean, I don't know if you guys know when they passed that rule, but it would be cool if we were allowed to sub Aubameyang occasionally. Um, but all kidding aside, I want to just touch on Ceballos. Uh, Clive Ceballos came on, and there was a fire inside that man. I mean, the game was dead, I get it, and it's just full of, him. He's he's nutmegging guys and dragging it past people, and he looked spry and excited. He wanted to be on that pitch. He wants that position. He's He does not want Elneny to take his job, and I, I don't, look, El Elneny was fine, I don't think he's taking Ceballos' job, but I said on our prediction pod, I, he's just hitting his prime, just turned 24, was great in Project Restart. Could he go up a level now? I'm really excited to see this player have a full season. I know he's he's never been quite what you love to watch, but did you see a little fire in him in that sub appearance? And are you kind of are you are you getting on board yet? Are you on the are you on the boat? <laughs>
2: oh, I, 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 you can't deny his improvement since lockdown. You can't right. So he's he's really improved. I I, I am not as high as other people are. I'm, I'm, I watched the game. I'm not stupid. You know what I mean? He's he's passing the ball forward a lot more now. So you know, sozo by the way. It Tells you something we've watched him go backwards for two years. Suddenly he's punching the ball forward and following Mm -hmm. his pass. So, this is this is a coaching edict, right? So, Tobias, when he first came, was twisting and turning, going back to the center backs, running over to go and collect it, and going out to the left back. Well, cheers, mate. That's just killed Pepe on the right hand side. He's standing there thinking, Well, what about me, right? So, now that box on the right hand side is clear. You know, whoever's standing there, we have a clear pattern. And it links into Bellerin, and we punch into those spaces much better. But he looks good. He's got nice feet. Yeah, he, he's fine. I want more speed in center mid. I'm sorry, guys. I want more speed in center mid. I will not change. I wanted more speed well, in center Well, you can have
1: both, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> it doesn't have to be at the expense of the bios, though.
2: I want more speed in center mid. And you know what? But I like how we're playing in center mid. I really like the structure we're offering. Whoever's there at the moment, and Savius came on when the game was broken, and he played a broken field game and had some fun. And it's great to see the competition up the bench. And I'm, mm.
1: I'm sure. yeah. I mean, uh, Tim, a little bit different look substitute bench, maybe starting to look a little more robust, a little more befitting a team of our aspirations. Um, am I am I overdoing the the Ceballos substitution? And uh, if you want, you can also weigh in on the Premier League rule preventing us from subbing Aubameyang. I mean, you don't have to. <laughs>
3: well I, you know we we spoke about stimulus right and we t- we talked about players playing for their shirts and um and el Nenny started um you know and that's 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 a that's a kind of this is a guy who probably he certainly doesn't have a long term future at arsenal he might have played his way into like another year perhaps as Jacques's as backup in the europa league or whatever but he started and we we're, we're talking about like uh, the manager putting a lot of stock on, on what happens in training and building this absolute meritocracy and it was right elneni's been training great he's fit he starts and that that just and and don't get me wrong, I'm sure that's just because they thought, well, Sabio's has only just come back over, you know, El Neni's had a fuller preseason than Sabio's, but it's just a little kind of, you know, whoever whoever's got the stimulus high in training, they will start, and it just creates that little bit of edge. And what what are the the kind of words we heard time and time again from both Sabio's and Arteta? The word they used when they were describing Sabio's' uptick in form was animal. They said he, he said he trained like an animal, and mm. they said like during lockdown he built like you know his own gym at home and all of that, and during lockdown he was just mad on 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 the weights and the treadmill and everything like that. And you know, I, I, like I, I, don't think it was a message or anything to sobias or I don't think it was. Oh, if I pick El maybe he'll, um, you know, maybe that will just pick him up a little bit. I, I think it is just like a pure democracy thing. It was okay, El and Jacker. These guys are doing it in training. They look the fittest. They start, and and you know, a. a a nice kind of um, byproduct of that is Sabio's going. All oh, right, so you think those guys train better than me? That's what you're saying. You've, you've given El you know. Even if I don't think that that's long term, you know, you've you've like you've said that he's trained better than me. I'm going to show you, and and I think that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I actually spent the last few days training like an animal. Uh, slept most of the day and foraged for food the rest of the time. So there you go. Let's leave it there. West Ham coming up. Be interesting to see. He's created this democratic structure. Is he going to pick different players? Can he just stick with El Nenny because we beat Fulham? Is Sabayas going to come in? We'll see. A lot of fun to go now that the squad's getting bigger, getting more interesting. And when our and party arrive midweek, that will be an interesting selection headache for the manager as well. So Clyde's on Twitter, Clive Pafc. Thanks, Clyde
2: very much
1: tim's on twitter at thanks tim
3: my pleasure as always we'll be
1: doing more on this game for patrons in the middle of the week as well as my uh uh my three brief interviews done last night if you want to catch that as well the video will be out for patrons shortly but we will have the regular pod for everybody um and and there'll be a second regular pod this week even though there's no midweek football so a little something for everybody and as always we just uh we love you and really appreciate you being here so A good three points, a great start to the season. Already three points and four goals ahead of Spurs. Can't ask for much more than that. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham 0.